Verity, the only Doctor Who podcast that's releasing just one episode today on the Day of the Doctor. Actually, it's our first day here. I'm Nathan. I'm James. I'm Simon. I'm Peter. It's been a mere moment since we were discussing the 50th anniversary special of Doctor Who, but there's a lot more to say and still more people left to say it. So here we are again, remembering what happened on the Day of the Doctor. started our previous episode this way and I'm going to do it again. Peter, can you remember where you were when you first saw this episode? I can. Um, I was in my sitting room in London and I had around me an array of people who I'd been friends with for decades because of Doctor Who. So Simon was there and uh, our friend Matt, Matt Jones. Yeah. Um, and Various other people Fiona. as well. Fiona was there. Todd, was, Todd there. was there. Todd was there, of course. Yeah. Um, and so we all watched it together and we all had that kind of collective fan experience. Paul Masters was there. Yep, Paul was there. Mm-hmm. Um, that collective fan experience that really I don't think I'd had since The Curse of Fenric in 1989 <laughs> uh, when we all gathered around to watch it for the first time together. Um, so it was, it was a pretty special experience actually. And so I don't need to ask you, Simon. You well, same, same answer, place. but uh, it wasn't my living room. But, uh, <laughs> but if I could just say the great thing about that, even though a, a number of us had gone to Britain for the 50th anniversary, like Todd and Fiona and, and I, for instance, all, all separately, it was lovely having all in the main Australians in the room because in each nation for different reasons because of different broadcast schedules and so on, we all have a slightly different experience of the program. And so it was great to share the Australian experience with other Australians, even though we were watching it in Britain. Yeah, absolutely. And James? I can't remember. Oh, come on. We went <laughs> to we your went- place. <laughs> 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 yeah, I just seem to remember turning up with a lot of sparkling Shiraz at six o'clock in the morning or something and we had a few drinks. I had to drive so yeah. I had to be well behaved and then we watched it on iView and then you and I went to the cinema, to the dandy up the road here and... Uh, watched it again. Watched it again in 3D. <laughs> that was when I was screen. living in Waterloo, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 It was the culmination of a pretty amazing week, I think. And, you know, Flight Through Entirety is partly about our experiences of watching Doctor Who as much as it is about the show itself. And so this was pretty seminal. I have very, very strong memories of watching the five doctors for the first time. I know exactly where I was and um, the fact that I wasn't in Sydney meant I could actually watch it because there was no blackout or whatever. <laughs> yeah, lost yeah. the first hour of it. <laughs> yeah. but, um, Parts of Sydney. This was huge. Mm. It was one of those times where Doctor Who really connected with the mainstream audience. So I can think of since the series came back, there was probably a week or two in 2008 around Journey's End and the Stolen Earth where Doctor Who was absolutely the zeitgeist and people who were not fans were talking about it and asking you about it. And it was in newspaper headlines and the stars were all over the TV in different shows. And this was the second time that week leading up to the airing of the Day of the Doctor. Doctor Who was everywhere just everywhere you looked, there was mentions of Doctor Who and people talking about Doctor Who. And of course, Simon, you might remember that we went to the big convention, which was held in London over the three days. Uh, yes, that it was and shown. I can't for the life of me remember which day it was that we were there. Was it the Saturday or the Sunday? Because it was only one day that you went. We were there Saturday and Sunday. Oh, Todd, Todd went on Friday as well oh, with Fiona. Yeah. It was excessive, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. But the thing was, it wasn't. You just reveled in it. It was so amazing, the feeling. Yes. Let's move on to the episode itself, though. I think it absolutely is aware that it's being watched by a massive group of people and that this is a big deal. And just watching it yesterday, it just struck me how incredibly cinematic the beginning is. It's interesting what you say about, like, the number of people watching because this is probably the Doctor Who episode that's been watched by the most people ever at the same time. It was simulcast around the world. 
it, it you know, like they didn't they sort of work out that it had maybe an, like ninety million viewers or something crazy like that across across, across all, all the, the different countries. countries. Where it was yeah. so that's actually an interesting thing because uh, I mean more so now, but even by twenty thirteen, the need to watch something on broadcast had already started to fall away. Yeah. So this this idea of this communal experience where everyone you know is watching the same thing. Yeah, water cooler um, moments. Yeah. yeah, and having the water cooler moment, et cetera. And I think that this was obviously something that everyone did make the effort to watch as it went out, Yeah, um, even in the wee small hours of the morning uh, at this side of the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was really quite early. Were you unspoiled? Does anyone remember whether they knew, for instance, that Tom was going to show up. I didn't know that. That is one thing I did not know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't either. And I also think Capaldi appearing for just that brief shot is a pretty remarkable thing. Those could have been anyone's eyes. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) The eyebrows, on the other hand. They're they're attack eyebrows. (laughs) Attack eyebrows. (laughs) It's it's funny, though, with that scene, I mean, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves, but no, I didn't know that Tom was going to turn up, but basically about 15 seconds before he does, you think Tom Baker's about to show up, isn't he? Oh, really? I I actually had this kind of premonition when he says, I'm sure I did. I I don't think I'm just, you know, thinking about this in retrospect. Uh, When, you know, everyone leaves Matt alone in front of the painting and the caretaker's around. It was either going to be um, Tom or it was going to be Peter Capaldi. Oh, okay. Yes, of course. Of course. I mean, obviously letting us hear his voice before we see him is absolutely the right move. We didn't mention who the director was in our last episode, but it's Nick Curran. Oh, the fabulous Nick Curran. Who else could it be? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And just talking about that scene with the curator, it absolutely gives you goosebumps, not just the way that it's scripted and Tom and Matt's brilliant chemistry, but it's directed beautifully with um, the cut to Tom suddenly being next to Matt where you've you've only heard his voice previously. And then when he leaves, he sort of fades into the background out of focus as he departs the room. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, Huron's incredible, isn't he? I mean, I think he's one of the best directors of the modern era, if not the best. And this episode tries to bring original series Doctor Who and new Doctor Who together. And I think that moment is the focus of it because not only do you have... Tom Baker, the acme of original Doctor Who opposite Matt Smith, and they really work well together. It feels like the marriage of the two parts of the series that you've been waiting for all in one scene. Yeah. Well, I think that that's what this is doing, isn't it? And we had, you know, just in Night of the Doctor just a a week or so ago, we have the sisterhood of Khan being brought into the fold. This time we finally get Zygons after, you know, imagining them turning up the most obvious sort of one-shot monster to be recreated. And this is very much that. We end with a shot of all of the Doctors, old and new series together in in the one show that's been kind of finally healed of the 16 year gap uh, in the middle of it. And I mean, let's not be, um, you know, there was talk at the time that, you know, it couldn't be a proper anniversary special unless it had Peter Davison and Colin Baker and uh, Paul McGann in it and that. And I think they made the right choice. It was just, you needed to focus in on something. You couldn't just have a bunch of cameos by people who hadn't played the role for 30 years. No. No. And I mean, the five doctors basically is that, but in a sense, the five doctors is a children in need special. It's a light entertainment thing. It is. We just haul everyone out to do their party piece and there's no story as such. Whereas, oh, I think that's a bit unkind. Well, yeah, you've got no, Terence Dix writing. That was a criticism. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, I, think, I think you're retconning the fact that it was part of Children in Need uh, yeah. to justify that. I mean, watching it as an 11-year-old in Australia. Oh, it was, uh, just, it was the best it thing was ever. The best thing ever. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, well, sorry, watching the last half hour of it as an 11-year-old in Australia what, until it was repeated in January. The, the Five Doctors is my earliest memory of Doctor Who. And you'd have been like three. Four, yeah, yeah right. three, three or four, yeah. But what what we have here is a bit more ambitious than the five doctors because it is trying to tell a story Differently about ambitious. the doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, five doctors is confident and and fun and funny and wonderful in all sorts of ways. And I guess it takes the same approach to story as this does. I mean, this is telling two stories, but they're both individually fairly straightforward stories. Mm. Um, there's a 
point that Moffat has made in interviews, which is that Doctor Who is really about the Doctor and this story is about the Doctor. The Doctor is the focus of this story in in a way that he events usually happen around him and he happens to events, but events don't happen to him. And you can't view the special in isolation. It's the day of the Doctor, but we've also had the name of the Doctor, Mm. the night of the Doctor, and we will have the time of the Doctor. So it's kind of the whole anniversary year is about the Doctor and Mm. what he stands for. Yeah. It's an episode about big things, deservedly about big things. I think, you know, of course it's the 50th, but it's going to be about the biggest thing that we never saw in Doctor Who, which is the time war. And the time war is the thing that bridges classic Doctor Who and new Doctor Who in the fiction of the show. Yeah, it represents the interregnum. Yes, exactly. So what do we feel about how that's portrayed and and how that's realised? Can I answer my own question? Yeah, please. (laughs) that's one of the disappointments for me about it. I mean, I love it. There's so much about it to love. There's so much about this to love, but I just don't think it all quite lands. Um, Agreed. And unfortunately, the time war is as uh, shown in the, in those, not the very opening scene, but, but early on, I actually find it quite unimaginative. It's sort of new Star Wars meets Terminator with all the operatic and choral incidental music, which says, this is dramatic. Um and if it's a time war, right, that implies something so much more exciting. This is just a war. What we're seeing is, is a war, yeah. right? It, it, that could be anything. Whereas a time war, you're it talking about abstract. two. Exactly. A time war is something between two races capable of time travel. It almost needs to be incredibly funky. And the ultimate weapon is to go back in time and prevent your enemy from actually being born or whatever, which is kind of actually what the Time Lords try to do in Genesis yeah. of the Daleks, yeah. right? Which is what starts the time war. Maybe. Well, well, no, 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 like, well that, that's a good way. I don't know whether it's stated. It's not stated in the show. That's it, obviously that, that was that was Russell's thinking. When, yes. Yeah. Okay. But that's that's yeah. a backstory. That's not yeah. something that's that's. And uh, notice that the, stated. the Zygon's planet was destroyed in the early years of the Time War. Yeah. And we've had the Nestines as well, who've been affected by the Time War yeah. as well. Yeah. Russell's Time War is utterly unfilmable, isn't it? And I deservedly so. Yeah. 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 Uh, you, you were mentioning the other day, like Russell's version of the Time War is just completely, like you say, unfilmable. It's inconceivable. It's fantastic. It's. I don't it's know that. Not, I, I don't know that any of that's true. Sorry, because I don't get the sense that when I hear that the fact that the Zygon planet or the Nestine planet or whatever it is is destroyed by the Time War, I'm not getting that it's anything other than a great big bomb destroying. No, planet. no, no. That's not what I mean. Like when Russell like writes about the Time War, it is. Like the language, the description is, oh, you know, like you know, the, you know, the like sometimes king, the and nightmare child, the silver world. devastation, oh, the gas cascade. Yeah, yeah, so all that kind of stuff is just is just bollocks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it isn't. It doesn't. It, no, it's just words. It's well, not yes, actually. Yes. It's not actually interesting. But it's Tom, just, I think that gets to the heart of what you're saying. Even if you don't particularly like the words that Russell uses, he's describing the war in abstract terms. So that it's just this. It's just this thing off to the side, which you can Im- you can put any. Anything onto it yeah. that you want oh, to. You can't yeah. imagine. This it. is actually. Yeah. No, no, yeah. fair, fair. And that's that my point. That's my okay. point. Yeah. Fair enough from that point of view. But I still think that there's a much more interesting way of, even if it's just a couple of lines of dialogue, to describe the kinds of things that might be happening in a time war, which aren't just a whole lot of Dalek flying saucers attacking Gallifrey. I think, though, that the time war that we get here is the most gun time war imaginable. Well, and that's and why that's I don't like it. That's but that's it, why yeah. the Doctor shouldn't be being involved in it. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've never liked this kind of thing. I mean, um, Doctor is the soldier. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I spent my childhood watching, you know, the, the Pertwee Doctor on repeats. I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> uh, being anti-military, yeah. not, not in the same way that we come to see him Capaldi, but still being... The, way, the gun is the, is the last resort. resort. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it makes it terrible as a result. I'm just saying it makes it not nearly as interesting but, as it might but be. Surely that is the point of the, of the episode and the character of the War Doctor is to show that oh, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. We, this war has perverted this character. Obviously. And the purpose of the story is not just to heal the, you know, the division between the original and new series. It's to heal the damage that's been done to that character 
by the Time War. Yeah. Mm. Or by Russell. You know, like Russell makes yeah. the Doctor someone who has killed all of the Time Lords. Yeah, yeah. And he, we kind of justify that in End of Time Part too, because the Time Lords are now totally evil and utterly genocidal as well, <laughs> in a way that we're not going to mention in this episode, in this episode at all. <laughs> it's well, hilarious. this is before. This is arguably before no, the event. No, it's happening the at the same time. Oh, yeah. right. Because yeah. the General says, oh, you know, the High Council have their own plans or whatever, yeah. but, and their plans are, let's kill everything. <laughs> but it's not just that, because, like, in End of Time... There is a line which is the moment has yeah, been the, stolen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, Russell invents the moment. Yes. right. Okay. And so this is this is actually retconning that. Yeah. No, it's happening at the same time. Yeah. So at, the general is exactly downstairs or in Arcadia yeah, or something right. at his sort of fabulous table, and then. Timothy Dalton's upstairs right. spitting and yelling at people. <laughs> and throwing timons <laughs> through time. Do we like the fact that to all the Gallifreyans seem to be dressed like this is Sisterhood of Khan? They all have the same kind of colour scheme. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they're the other Sisterhood of Khan, the London-based Sisterhood yeah. of Khan. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the funny thing about that is are we getting a distinction in those time war sequences between Gallifreyans and Time Lords? Maybe because there is that suggestion that time, not you know, all time lords are Gallifreyans, but not all Gallifreyans. So maybe they're Shabogans. How terribly exactly. boring yeah. that would have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. Let's hope no one ever clears that up. I mean, yeah. <laughs> paging big yes, finish. Please, please don't do that. <laughs> I have to say, I agree with both what Simon and James are saying. Yes, I mean, you agree I, with me more. <laughs> I do agree with me. <laughs> I, I agree with James that you know it's good. You know, it's really great that Moffat sets out to heal the idea of the Doctor as warrior. And I think that's a really interesting element to bring to the Doctor's character. That there was this part of him who had to act. He didn't want to, and he's kind of shunned him and he shunned himself ever since. But what Simon was saying about kind of the way that the war is presented, I understand that it's for a wide audience. We want big effects and things like that. But as with the rest of this episode, and I really do like it, there's some brilliant parts of it. It felt like it was one or two drafts away from being really good. And I think if Moffat had had more time, he might have come up with something cleverer to depict the actual time war rather than Daleks attacking from the sky and people running away. Yeah, I worry that it's actually one or two drafts too many, maybe. <laughs> it, be, it, it could be yeah, the other problem. Maybe, yeah. Do, do you think that's because this story went through production hell? They did try and get Eccleston for quite a long time before before he said no. Yeah. And there were also points at which, well, I, like after, after Series 7 is completed, the only main cast member who is – contracted to Doctor Who is Jenna Coleman. Right. So there was a point where if Matt had actually gone, I'm done, no no anniversary especially. Like he wrote a version of the script called the No Doctors. I mean, that, I mean, <laughs> absence of the <laughs> absence of the Doctor. I mean, I don't think that was ever seriously no, entertained no, very no. long. I think there was no indication that Matt was never going to come back, even though he was not officially of under contract. And not contract. I think for maybe half a day, Moffat sat there thinking, "If I don't have any Doctors, what do I write?" But it was never a serious script or a version no. of the script. I think the thing that really mucked it up was that for a long time, it was going to be. Eccleston's Doctor. Um, and I think that would have made actually for a better story. It would have made for a more cohesive story within the fiction of Doctor Who. But having said that, if we couldn't get Eccleston, I think this was an elegant way out of it. Yeah, I don't think that it changes it all that much. No. I think it's just nicer for us as fans had Eccleston been in there. Um, yes. But I don't actually think – and obviously some things would have been different, but at the same time I don't know whether the certain fundamental things that I'm complaining about would have actually been different. I, no. I kind of disagree with that. I think it's actually better for having her in it because not just the sort of superficial points where, you know, like Eccleston in Rose is newly regenerated. It's very clear. Yes, he's, it's very clear yeah, that he's and, just and, Yeah, so, so it doesn't work in that on that level, but I think it doesn't work for the character because this is not a man who – who would commit genocide, this is a man who has committed genocide yeah. and regrets it and is completely broken by it. So, But do we know how different the Eccleston version would have been? Was the Eccleston version anything more than a, a script outline is what I'm sort of saying? I don't think it's ever leaked, but I do know that Stephen wrote some of it because he showed it to Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, then cons like seriously considered 
it being McGann's doctor. But then the BBC rejected And the BBC that. said, no, yeah. he's not big enough. Yeah. Paul McGann it is not big really enough. It wouldn't have really mattered. But again, it, surely for the purposes yeah. of the 50th anniversary, what does, anniversary, it, matter, what does it matter? Yeah, if you can get John Hurt, parachute John Hurt into yeah, the show. No, exactly. That's right. Yes. It gives us John Hurt, a seriously good actor. Yeah, a seriously serious good actor. What the hell is he doing in this program? Having doctor. Oh, <laughs> they, 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 they are. Yes, I know. They are. But it also... Yeah, no, exactly. It helps with that healing with the old series because he's an old man doctor. He's yes, a Hartnell yes. or a Pertwee. Yeah. And so we need that figure in the story. Because what you wouldn't have got with Eccleston is the hilarious critique that he brings to his yes. successes, performance ticks and character and all of it's that. It's amongst my favourite parts of the story. It's really it's great. Brilliant. Because, I mean, Tennant makes fun of him, you know, I'm really digging the sort of posh gravelly thing. thing. <laughs> 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 I think it's really great. <laughs> um, and so he gets to do that. And so that's a big element yeah. of the old series that would otherwise not have been there. Yeah. I don't think you can have... Eccleston critiquing his successes because he's like them. Yes, he's part of the the, the new um, thing. Um, in some respects, John Hurt is the distillation of the original series, Doctorness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, they brought back Peter Davison. He would have turned to David Tennant and said, "Do try and speak English, Doctor." <laughs> 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 say nice things I've got not nice things to do. <laughs> oh, I have unnice things to say not nice things to say about the repartee mm-hmm. oh well that's the best part of it for me talk about it yeah no I mean I just think those lines are funny it's what we've come to expect from, from a multi-doctor the, special yeah, yes. yeah you yeah. know they make fun of one another and that's yes. sort of terribly great and just all of those sort of Moffaty lines I think the moment after Tennant critiques John Hurt for his gravelly posh voice yeah. That's the moment where Matt Smith calls him Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> yes. Of his patently crap you know, <laughs> yeah. London accent. But uh, the first line from, from Matt, though, about, well, I've never seen it from the outside. Yeah. That's it's like, like a special effect. Like a special effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just nice for them to, I mean, it's the old sort of fancy pants scarecrow thing yeah. that put on speed. And I, don't, and I don't know whether it's the sort of the, the bickering between, you know, Troughton and Pertwee and the three doctors that means that this is, has to become a staple of... I mean, that, that's it, clearly what everything has been based on in yeah. every multi-doctor gathering is those scenes from the three doctors, and they yeah. are unbeatable. Yeah, and yeah. arguably that's one of the things wrong with the five doctors is that there isn't enough doctors together. Yes, I mean, that, that, bit, at the end of, and, yeah, that yeah. bit at the end of the two doctors where uh, the second doctor turns to the sixth and says, I think space and time should be big enough for the two of us. Just <laughs> is one of my favourite parts. No, no, the just, no, 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 no. The just is because he's just eaten um, uh, a whole family paella and, oh, okay, uh, yeah. and all the rest of it at the restaurant. I <laughs> always took that as him looking at Colin and saying, no, 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 in the just because no, he cuts his stomach. No, yeah, his stomach because he's eaten it all at, um, yeah, at Oscar Bocciabi's restaurant. Yeah, yeah. At Las Cadena. But also he does, he also does kind of look Colin up and down when he does it. It's funny, I've never seen, I'll have to watch the blue doesn't he? Yeah. He does. He does. He gives him a very side. He gives him side eye. <laughs> anyway, what don't you like about the repartee and how do you? Stephen Moffat. He's a sitcom writer, a very accomplished and skillful sitcom writer. I think it's fun. I think it's really fun. Um, and I like the repartee between David Tennant and Matt Smith, but it doesn't quite hit the spot for me sometimes. There are some funny and there are some charming moments mostly in the performances, but I think it's a little bit puerile with the whole sand shoes, chinny, skinny. I just, I just don't think it really holds a candle to So You're My Replacement, a Dandy and a Clown, which is the absolute height, <laughs> yeah, that withering put down from the first Doctor. I just, I mean, I don't hate it. Don't get me wrong. I do enjoy it. I just... I felt it wasn't quite clever enough, right, to be it's honest. It's interesting because I, I would agree that some of those you know little criticisms are a bit puerile, but because they're generally just thrown away, I don't think it matters. I think that's why it's it works for me is because they're just they're just included in a sentence rather than signposted too much. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of the tyranny of high expectations. I expect Moffat's dialogue to be so clever, and I just. 
didn't really find these kind of these traded barbs all that clever. Am I saying that he doesn't reach the heights of Bob Baker and Dave Martin? I might be saying that. But I think is he script keeping- edited by Terence D. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, is he keeping his powder dry for the big scene, which is in some ways the most important scene of the episode, which is the three doctors together? in the tower where a real proper critique starts to happen where Tennant's doctor critiques Smith for not caring about what happened. He can't remember any longer how many children were yes. killed. Is that, that how long it takes to forget? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then kind of Matt critiquing Tennant for not moving on, for not for yeah. dwelling on it. Yeah. yeah, there is a shift in tone there and that's a very good Welcome to have. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely is. And I like the fact that it shifts from the usual kind of so you're my replacements dialogue to being about something more. That's good. Because I think it's the first time the Doctor has had a really serious event in his history that he can react to as a character. And so the two Doctors who are there react differently and critique one another, whereas, you know, usually Doctor Who's just a whole bunch of stuff that happened and then we forget it at the end of episode <laughs> four and get on with our lives, you know, the, this big event that's kind of distorted the program and and weighed down on the character in a really big way is something that the two characters can have genuine differences about. Mm. One of the disappointments that I have with it, and this is again the you know the problem with high expectations, is one of the, the joys of the multi doctor specials is always having a mix up of a doctor and a companion. Mm. You know, you you ha- having Perry with Troughton for a bit in the, mm. the two doctors, for instance. And you kind of miss that here because Billy is not playing Rose. Billy is playing the moment. Yeah. I don't think Rose fits in here. Like I just think that that's too much. And I think that Moffat makes the right decision to give her a different character to play. And it's the usual kind of Moffat thing. It's a little bit like Idris not being able to tell the difference between the past and the future. Future, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but I, and I think she's magnificent. Oh, she's superb. I think she's excellent. I don't deny any of that. Mm. It's just that it's the, it's the 11 year old in me watching the the five Mm. doctors and then the two doctors a few years later and loving that sort of thing. And and just thinking totally with Simon. Wouldn't it be great if you've had a a scene with Rose and Matt Smith, you know, It, it just, I think Clara and the and Clara Doctor and Tennant are, are Clara. tremendous. Yes, yeah, and that so you get a little bit of it from that point of view. Yeah, um, I mean, you kind of want Susan with the Fifth Doctor, and like you said, in the two Doctors, Jamie with the Sixth Doctor, and Perry with the Second Doctor. It's it's a heartwarming fan glow. I do think there's not enough room yeah. in this story for yeah. it. I'm not sure how. David Tennant turning up with Martha or something would have impacted the special oh, uh, well. But any I companion would have it. been barely, they'd have had very like four lines and, yeah. and been in three scenes kind of thing. Um, imagine but, if they got Catherine Tate back. <laughs> for example, well, she'd, have, she'd have had more lines than that. <laughs> I mean, I, I <laughs> say, Whether they were in the script or not. <laughs> I'd say it would have been beautiful if in the last scene Martha had come to the door of the TARDIS and said, come on, Doctor, where have you been? Just a little cameo like that would have made me go, oh. very restrained isn't he in that the two stories that he tells in this episode are fairly straightforward and he has like nearly an hour and 20 minutes to play with and that does give the story time to breathe i think it's not as frenetic as some other new series episodes have Mm. been and so it just gives us time to do that character exploration which is so crucial for what this story is doing Mm. I mean, I think sometimes it gives it a little bit too much time to breathe. I think those early scenes with David Tennant and Elizabeth go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> but a bit self-indulgent. Yes, they are. But, I mean, the opening scene where we do this that sort of giant set piece with the helicopter flying over London and suddenly London's back. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't not have not oh, Yeah, that. I mean, yeah. that's a great way to, st- to start yeah. the show. Oh, but we haven't spoken about the way the program really does start with the fabulous recreation of the heart and left credits in widescreen. <laughs> <laughs> widescreen stereo. And when I say 3D. widescreen, I mean widescreen, not stretched. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I love that thing too. We're, we're back at Coal Hill School yeah. as well. Now, is that by any chance the same building as Remembrance? It no. It no, it's not. No, no. That's in, that building is in Wales. Whereas, <laughs> is it right? Okay. Yeah. Um, I do love 
the name of the um the head of the board of governors. Yes, it's Ian Chesterton. I like the fact that the doctors put a convenient sign towards the scrapyard right up next to the school in case yeah. Susan loses her way in the fog. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a bit like I mean in 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 unearthly child. She lives quite far away from the school. <laughs> they have to get in a car and follow her. Oh, no, it's cheating. It's terrible. <laughs> like, whatever. It's just the, like they've taken the door off the hinges finally. It's just sort of lying there for no particular reason. It is very odd. But, I mean, that whole scene is terrifically funny and Matt and Jenna are wonderful together. Like that, you know, will there be cocktail scene, the Florana speech. Yes. <laughs> so, do you notice the time of the clock? No. It's 5.16, oh, right. which, is, which is when the first Dr. episode went out. Yeah, perfect. perfect. You're about to tune in for a brand new adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but all that stuff with uh, Queen Elizabeth in the Zygon is, is, a bit, is a bit tedious and I hate to say it. Um, I mean, the Zygons are something that I've wanted to have come back for the entirety of my fandom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and is something that has been missing and unfortunately, once again, it's like – I think the essence of what makes the Zygons, what made the Zygons great is lost. They just become this sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, and, slavering, and, lurching yeah, monsters. Rather than this claustrophobic, um, insidious, dangerous sort of thing. They're just a comic, a bit of comedy really. Yes, dare they I certainly say become it. that. Dare I say it, they're not John Woodnutty enough. Yeah, well, I think that that's probably the thing. I think that mm. it's the fact that they don't get to be characters outside of being Zygons. I want my Zygons to say the polar ice caps must go, the mean temperature must be raised. I don't want them to lurch from the shadows going, My family has served this county for seven centuries, but that seems not to count these days. Was that was that Broton or was that Tom doing Broton? I do beg your pardon. They really missed a trick not having one of the Zygons have a door slammed in their face so they could whisper, open this door. Open this door. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, the bit with Osgood and the inhaler is great, especially after they've had their memories wiped and, you know, the, the Zygon one passes over the inhaler and then puts finger to the lips. I think brilliant. that's so good. That's such so a great in our last no, no, episode. It's kind of like... That's actually the human. Like she took her puffer back. She hands it to the Zygon and goes, shh. No, but when when the Zygon no, but when the Zygon Osgood in the pre- previous sequence, the Zygon Osgood looks over her. She's you know on the floor crying and whatever you know in a state, and says, "Oh, I I hate having one with a defect. Can I have my inhaler, please?" And so the Zygon would have the inhaler at that point. Is no, no, no. She pulls point? she pulls the scarf and runs off. She escapes the Zygon and takes her and takes her puffer back. Sorry. Oh, okay. I watched it last okay, time. So, okay. <laughs> okay, no, okay, that's an important no, distinction no. though. Well, like, is it's though, nice though. It kind of works nicely either way. Yeah. They know. Like they yes, actually yes. realise which one is the yes, Zygon. The, and which their memory's been erased insofar as which one's a Zygon and which one's yeah. a human, but not in that which one of them has the inhaler. No, but so they've yeah. Worked it out. Yes, they, exactly. They that, worked it out. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and the That's brilliant thing is that they both agree to it. So they're not agreeing to this thing for space reasons because their mind has been wiped. Yes. They're actually going along with this negotiation plan because they realise it's best for all of yeah, them. Yeah, it's a really it's nice very touch. good. And it's yeah. such a great moment. It's such a great character moment as well because it makes you realise that actually there might be some kind of affinity between the Zygon and the human that it's yeah. copied, but there might be something going on there because they do share this little smile with each other and you think I think they probably like each other and I think that will be continued in the Zygon two-parter that's coming up in future years. Which I think is extremely good, Mm. I have to say. I mean, that look is is the basis of an entire (laughs) two-parter. Basically, yeah. 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 But her performance is just generally so good. Mm. She's wonderful, Mm. isn't she? It's just such a shame that we have such a fan-pleasing thing as bringing the Zygons back, which I'm totally on board with, but then we lose what their essence is. Exactly, yeah. What, they could be any monster yep. being brought back. And I they think could actually, be ice warriors. Yeah, and I actually think that uh, it, it's a waste in the 50th because there's, there's too much else to do. 
Mm. And so you're not going to bring them back with the, the right amount of bang. That's right. And the reason that they're sort of slavering monsters is that they don't have anything particularly Zygon-esque to do. Yeah, exactly. And then there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing really for them to do, and that's the problem. It's a very one-dimensional bit of story. Yes, they, they are, they are um, a plot device. Exactly. Well, and in fact, it's the story that's interrupted by the moment. Effectively, yeah. Mm. So it's not an important story in itself, and it's slightly weird that both doctors are involved in it from different ends as well. Yes, yes. Um, but it is extremely thin, like not very much happens and so we don't get the opportunity to hear very much from the Zygons. There's that one that comes in and speaks to Queen Elizabeth with the whispering voice, but otherwise we don't get any of that. Mm. And actually I don't like the Queen Elizabeth. No. I don't think you I mean she's no Kate Blanchett. You, you, you weren't <laughs> so a fan is, of Gavin and Stacey. This is Stacey from Gavin and Stacey. I didn't watch that. So no. she is. A, oh, so ah, well, there you go. See, being cast because you're someone is not a good decision for me. <laughs> well, no, we don't know. You hear us? She was cast. <laughs> what? Yes, exactly. Yes, it's anyone. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I don't mind her, but it's no. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's. It felt like it needed a star name. It needed a dare I say it, Helen Mirren or someone like that to actually lift those scenes because it's someone like that playing her. But you're kind of suggesting that it is a star name. No, but it needs a star name who's a star name because they're really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as yeah, opposed she, to just she, being... She's a, co- she's a comedy A comedy star. Person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's a well-known actress for television at this point. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's a, a reasonably big coup. She is... I mean, she does get some pretty funny lines. I do like the... I may have had the body of a weak and feeble, feeble woman. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. I think, though... That, that, that's a pre-existing line. I though. know. <laughs> um, Deploying it to involve Zygon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem is when you have to set it to have a young Elizabeth... Yeah. Who are your choices for a famous gravitas? Yeah, well, we've already seen old that, Queen Elizabeth, haven't we? Yeah. In, uh, in uh, Shakespeare, Shakespeare Code, Code. Mm. and so this is kind of Moffat delivering on a running gag that Russell has. Yes. So, firstly, the Shakespeare Code, we get Queen Elizabeth is angry at the Doctor for something, and we don't know what it is. Yeah. Then, in End of Time Part One, we discover he's. Just what, married had her. sex with her or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we see the marriage finally here. And aren't, there are the references to Queen Elizabeth as well throughout the program. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that at the end of Curse of Pillars on, they're going to dash off to the, Cor- the first yeah, part, one of, part one of the chase. Um, but there's, but there isn't there, isn't there another reference to in, in uh, a Christmas Carol maybe about um, – Queen no, no, make he, it confused. he does get married again in the Christmas Carol to Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. Yes, yes. And so we we have seen that the Doctor is married three times in the show. <laughs> so it's a river song. He's a polygamist. <laughs> well, you know they die. Um, <laughs> river song. Kamaka first and <laughs> yeah, nearly Kamaka. No, yeah. proposed. It's <laughs> a proposal, not a yeah. engagement. Yeah. He I leaves mean, her at the altar. <laughs> It's that thing about modern takes. We were talking about the Time Lords before where, and don't get me wrong, I do like this episode. I think it hits uh, with what it set out to do, especially with the general public. But there's something about the modern takes in this episode which don't quite work. So we talked about the Zygons and how their reimagination doesn't really hit, but the Time Lords don't hit for me as well. We talked about this on the End of Time podcast that we did. It's jettisoned everything that was interesting about the Time Lords. They're kind of their academic society. You should have seen Nathan's face just then. <laughs> but I mean, actually, that is the point. Yeah. The only person who ever made. It's no Ark of Infinity. No. Well, <laughs> the only person who ever made Time Lords interesting was Bob Holmes yeah. in The Deadly Assassin. And it mystified me in the end of time how Russell ejected all of those trappings about. Um, you know, the the academic structure of the society and the politics behind the scene. And that was what made them interesting. They just turned out to be ranting cod Shakespearean characters in their time. And 
Moffat takes that and runs with it here. Yeah. And so those scenes with the Time Lords are so uninteresting. Yeah, well, it's it, lazy writing again, I think. Well, yeah. not so much lazy. I'm just not sure. Again, maybe he didn't have the time or the drafts to kind of do anything interesting with those. It's just slightly disappointing. Like Moffat does jettison the Russell idea that the Time Lords are massively evil and are going to kill everyone. And that's, that's why they reversed, needed yeah. to be destroyed. Yeah. Mm. And that puts a different moral kind of cast on the decision to blow them up. You know, the Doctor blew up the Time Lords because he knew that what they were planning was to basically kill everything and become immortal aliens. Is that the Russell reason why he did it? Or is it... Because, I mean, for me, at least in this, the reason why the War Doctor is going to do it is that there is no way to stop the violence, to stop the collateral damage. The only way to stop the collateral damage of all these other planets being affected is to basically destroy the Daleks and the Time Lords. Yeah. There's that line that we were talking about in our Night of the Doctor podcast. Yeah. she wanted to see the universe, well... Yeah, she didn't miss much. She it's very, very nearly over, over yeah. is what O'Hela says mm. in response to that. Yeah. And it, so it does threaten everywhere. Yes. So that's right. Yeah. But End of Time reveals an extra bit of information that the Time Lords are worse than the Daleks because what they're planning is a sort of ascension where everything else is destroyed and they become sort of disembodied rulers of what's left. So killing them was to stop that. But there is space There is space in this for both of those interpretations because it is the High Council, yeah. not all of the High Council. No. It's That's basically Rassilon yeah. like wanting to do this the, you know, these are the Time Lords who have been living this war. Who have been yeah, they're downstairs. Yeah, so there like, are a few. You know, yeah, like the, he's upstairs, they're downstairs. Yeah. Um, and and then there's you know the the Gallifreyans in the street who don't have a choice in the matter yeah. either. Yeah. So in a way, it's entirely consistent with what we know about the Time Lords previously, and that there's always been a few bad actors. Yeah. Um, well, in many ways, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> there's always been a few bad actors within their society. It's just. For the Time Lords to be interesting, they need to be whimsical in some ways. There needs to be a Spandrel and an Engin and a Hillred who can't get his act together, whereas these are just Shakespearean characters espousing at each other. And that's exactly what Russell wanted to avoid when he brought the show back by getting rid of the Time Lords. Mm. And then he fell straight into the trap in the end of time. And again, I just wish we'd had something more interesting here. Yes. I just wouldn't have wanted the Time Lords to get much more attention than they get here. I mean, that is a point. (laughs) No, no, but I I think that's the the reason why we've ended up with the kind of Time Lords that we have is because to do them properly would become this incredibly self-indulgent You need thing, a story about which, them. Yeah. Yes, and then it's just uh, – and, 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 and I think they're trying to keep them a little bit mysterious in that, well, let's not talk too much about them so that, you know, we don't mm. categorise them too much. Let's let Big Finish do that for exactly. box yeah, sets. Yeah, yes, yeah. and yeah. they are less aggravating than they are in The End of Time where you have Timothy Dalton doing his bit. I know everyone else loves that. I love Timothy Dalton. And you have <laughs> yes. a mysterious woman but, covering her eyes and the scribbling woman and everything. You think, what is this that I'm watching? But, 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 but the but the, the Time Lords in the original series are criticised by the Doctor and appear as past their prime. They're an ancient society which doesn't do anything. They just sit around. Their society is calcifying. Everything's kind of grinding to a halt. Like the, It's like the heat death of the universe kind of thing. Whereas the modern series is, you know, Russell and, and so on has, has made them villains. Properly villains, like as a, as a group, yeah. regardless of what you're saying about the upstairs and the downstairs, one's doing different things, trying to make them more malevolent. Yeah. Rather kind of than, made them all powerful rather than just omnipotent. Yeah. And, and I think that was, I mean, that's a decision. Uh, it's not a decision I particularly liked. I, I'd rather than be kind of the original series version, even when less than ideally executed in something like Ark of Infinity. I just don't think there is a, a definitive original series version because every time they appear, perhaps perhaps less so after The Deadly Assassin, they're different. And certainly the Time Lords that you see at the end of the War Games are absolutely yeah, not the, the Time Lords you see in The Deadly Assassin. 
A hundred percent. So you have you have War Games, Three Doctors, Time Lords. Yeah. Don't and forget the first two minutes of Colony in Space. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of lumped into the Three Doctors version. Um, but you have those Time Lords and then you have the Deadly Assassin on. And, and yeah. I think the Deadly Assassin on ones are broadly speaking all the same. It's just that some are done much better than uh, yes, others. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, some have Bob Holmes writing them and some have Johnny Byrne writing yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Or, or you know. Pip and Jane. For example. <laughs> 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 but even the Invasion of Time, for all its failings, is still a better realisation of Time Lord Society. Yeah, like Invasion that. of Time yeah. takes the Deadly Assassin and runs with it. Invasion yeah. of Time has that version of Barusa, who is yes. possibly the single, the single best, the yeah. best yeah. Barusa, we've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, 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 is Invasion yeah. of Time a David Agnew script? I, it is. I think it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's like it's, uh, Graham Williams. Graham Williams. And, yeah. 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 Anyway, the point being mm. that they're rubbish in this. <laughs> 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 they are indeed. They're slightly less rubbish at the end of time, but they're still rubbish. They're not interesting. They're just a, a plot device to create this massive war, right? I think that his little friend, like, you know, there's the main general who will later on be shot by Peter Capaldi mm, and with that person named in, Ken Bones. Ken Bones will turn into Tania Miller in one of the triumphs of frame <laughs> regeneration. And he, then his little friend has that fabulous, I love the collar. Like mm, it's a, yeah. It looks really great. But, yeah, I mean, they're an aesthetic thing and we have as little of them as we can get away with. And, and so the when we have the conundrum that they're having – in London where Kate is wondering whether she needs to blow up or seriously considering blowing up London, killing millions of people because that's better than the alternative. Yeah. I, I find that parallel, it's all a bit kind of forced and obvious that we're going to have but, these two decisions, like the Doctor's having to make this decision, the War Doctor's having to make this decision and Kate's having to but, make this decision. It's the same lamb, decision really. He lampshades that. Moffat lampshades that. He, he says there's a line from the War Doctor which is, the bad wolf girl, she showed me exactly the future I needed to see. She manipulated all three of them yeah. to create this story. Yeah, yes, but that, does, that doesn't mean it's not – that doesn't make it good, it though. It doesn't work because uh, the War Doctor's takeaway from that conversation is that in future his regret for what he's done will inspire him to save many, many other people, including Kate and the Zygons here. And so he goes back – and so do the other two doctors. They go back determined to press the button. Yes. And the real thing that the doctor needed to see was the thing in the tower where the war doctor makes the decision to set sonic the screwdriver. Uh, sonic yep. screwdriver in motion and then we have 400 years in the room together and we can solve the problem in that time yes. and that's how Matt solves the problem. Stephen, Stephen always foreshadows <laughs> yeah, his yeah. reveals and he usually does it as a gag. Which is well, that's what right, which is yeah, what yeah, we get here. Yeah, we yeah. get we get Matt Smith saying, oh, we're so clever and Clara bursts in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a punchline. Yeah. But that's, that's fantastic. That's setting that up as that gag in the in otherwise yeah the software's the same the face yeah. has changed yeah the yeah. face it's, yeah. the it's, case has changed in the first line and the face has changed yeah. yeah and then and then having that payoff at yeah. the end like that that's fantastic foreshadowing yeah. it's like that's the way to do foreshadowing yeah, yeah I just Stephen's- find it hard to believe that you know in four hundred years he hasn't had to upgrade the OS which has meant that um, all current Operations have had to start again. Well, we're, sure. we're digging down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because well, he does give that screwdriver away to River Song, doesn't he? I mean, and he also mm. burns up the screwdriver in the eleventh hour, and a new one pops out of the TARDIS. Yeah. Well, so, so, it's, it's, it's all Wi-Fi. in the cloud. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the TARDIS backs it up. <laughs> but you know, Stephen's writing always pays off, and it's always clever. And I think we've been sadly lacking in scripts of that easy sophistication since he left the show. Watching this just reminded me of the fact that even though, you know, I do think it's a little bit obvious in places, he always pays you off as the viewer. Yes, you you can't complain. At the end of the day, I can pick faults with it. Yes. Uh, I can pick a fair number of faults with it for me, just my own personal sort of things. But at the end of the day, I still really like it. I still enjoy it. And that's because, and that is, as you say, down to Stephen Moffat. It's always a baseline of quality. You know, some things he will pull off better than other things, but there's never anything which lets you down and makes you think, well, that was pretty tame. Yeah. In fact, I think that what it does is exactly what it has to do, given that it's a celebration of 50 years and it's being watched by lots of people, is you have a story about what actually constitutes the doctor's heroism. Like, what does it mean to be a doctor? Mm. And so... 
you know, sometimes in the in the eighties, they would put the doctor in a position where he couldn't do anything, or there was no good choice, or something like that. There should have been and, another way. Yeah, yeah, and that's always a, a writing decision. I mean, you're making up the situations the doctor's in. Yeah, you don't have to put him in a situation where he has yeah. no choice. And I think the point that Moffat's making is that our doctor just would never have done that. You could never imagine a Doctor Who story, for instance, that depicted the doctor pushing the button and wiping out all of Gallifrey. That would just be intolerable. Who would want to watch that? Because what the doctor has to do is be clever and outwit his enemies and and force them to fall into their own traps and all of that sort of thing, that speech, the never cruel and cowardly speech from the human nature novel. And so making the center point Actually, it's not from the human no, nature no, novel. It's, it's from, from the 1976 edition of Making of Doctor Who. Oh, yes. oh really? Yeah. Goodness yeah. You see, yeah. this is the nods to the past in this episode are heartwarming and brilliant. You know, the you've redecorated, I don't like yeah, it. all yeah. those bits. Yeah. You know, the, the bits you expect, the bits that you get, it's wonderful. But what really hits home for me is that wonderfully directed scene in the barn where it all goes to black. Yeah. And so you see the doctors against black while they're delivering these lines and they're quoting Terence Dix from the making of Doctor Who, never cruel or cowardly, always fights evil, is always on the side of good. The wheezing and the groaning. Yeah, the wheezing and groaning sound. Never give up, never give in. Yeah. That's all Terence Dix. That's all him explaining the heart of Doctor Who. And so Moffat references that, and that's his true throwback to the yeah. original series and what Doctor Who is about. The only thing I was a bit upset about was that we had the Zygons and not, say, the Fomasi, because then you would have had that other Terence Dix classic, the colour of monsters is it's green. It's <laughs> <laughs> <He is> green. <laughs> that, the wheezing groaning sound speech is fantastic as mm. well, isn't it? Uh, because it's the moment saying yeah. that that sound heralds salvation and now the doctor gets to experience what it's like to hear that sound. And again, Nick Huron is fantastic because Billy is out of focus in the background of that shot mm. and the shot is centred around John Hurt's ear, which yes. is hearing that sound suddenly appear, only this time it's the doctor coming to save himself. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's poetic. Yeah. It's yeah, really yeah, great. Yeah. And while we're just talking about the moment and John Hurt's doctor, that entire scene where he first goes into the barn and encounters her, it's a long, long scene with just the two of them. And it may be the best scene in the entire mm. episode. It's so good. Mm. I love the why can't it be two things? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But in a way, Billy Piper is playing a companion in this. She's playing. Yeah. Like the War Doctor's companion. Yeah. Oh, yes. No, absolutely. Oh, it, that line about being stuck between a girl and a box is pretty great. <laughs> story of your life. I mean, it's, it's so effortlessly clever. That's Stephen Moffat just delivering. Yeah. yeah. Is, that, yeah. is she wearing thal trousers? I don't know what she's wearing. <laughs> she's wearing something that's very distressed anyway. Yeah, it's, it's quick thal cosplay. <laughs> she, she didn't have scissors. She just it's used the, her keys. It's the pair that uh, Barbara took with her at the end of the Daleks. It's <laughs> <laughs> found at the back of a wardrobe in the car in the dark. <laughs> The problem is that, and I think Peter touched on this earlier with like the weight of expectations and, and something that's going to be the 50th anniversary special is going to have a weight of expectations on it, which are going to be impossible to be met. Yeah. And you always end up with, whether it's Doctor Who or whatever it is, something that I often find is enjoyable but slightly unsatisfying. The best episodes and stories of Doctor Who that we remember are not the 3-5 Doctors and, and this. Funnily enough, for me, the two Doctors is the best of the multi-Doctor stories by... Light years. I agree. Because it's just a story which has two doctors in it. Yeah. Rather than it being like this existential crisis in the life of the doctor or of Gallifrey or of the universe or whatever the hell it happens to be. It's not a tentpole story. Exactly. And and so many of the best stories that we love aren't that. You mm. know, they're just a story. Blink mm. is just an episode. Yeah. It, it, and yet it's probably one of the best things that the modern – program is produced pyramids of mars is just a story but it's probably one of the best stories ever produced of the classic series except and for episode four obviously 
<laughs> Scratch pyramids are mad. Let's put in let's put in scenes of doom or horror. Or I knew you were going to say scenes of doom. Yeah, because you know I love it. So much. <laughs> the Green Death, despite the Kramer yeah. key. You know what I mean? So, but the point being that it doesn't have to be about the end of the universe for it to be the best thing ever. The no. problem with these sorts of stories is that the stakes are too big that I just can't quite get involved in it in the same way. Yeah, I guess for me though, this is an extra thing that we got to have. You oh, yeah. know, we had a normal season, we have a Christmas special, we have this big extra thing celebrating yeah. the program in a really public way that involves everyone. Yeah. And so I do think it's appropriate to have Daleks in it, you know, oh, have course. it be about the Doctor and yeah. and also to kind of reorient the show to kind of bring the classic series back into the fold. I, I completely understand how you end up with this. I'm just saying that it's never going to be good enough for me is the problem. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. It's never going to be good enough. I would argue actually of, of the multi-Doctor stories that are celebrations, mm. this is the best. Yeah, I think so too. In terms I, of I, I'll, I'll give it that given that I think the three Doctors is pretty bad. Don't get me wrong. Love the five Doctors. And love the five Doctors for emotional reasons rather than rational reasons. But in terms of script, acting, special effects – the meaning of it in the mythology of the show. This is this is actually better than those others. It, it's, it's actually a thing of the time, though, isn't it? Because this one is very much of its time in terms of how television's made and and, yeah. and what things are alike. The Five mm. Doctors is also very much of its time. It's, it's it's so much more British. It's so much more of a. It's this restrained celebration where we're all going to walk about the place uh, and okay. you know, and that's about all that happens. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Get together. For a, get together for a bit of a party. Get together yeah. for a bit of a party, but, but not too much of a party. Just, you know, not, you know, restrain just, ourselves. Just, just some know. light bondage. <laughs> just, just those little things that Richard Herndl is chewing on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like them having tea and cake in the console room in The Five Doctors. Yes, yes. That, that's the celebration for The Five Doctors. You know what I mean? So I this agree with you. This does end with a cup of tea. And, in fact, Nick Hurran, as we – you know, the whole thing sort of ends and then we just get Nick Hurran gives us a shot of someone putting sugar into a cup of tea. <laughs> which I just think it's fantastic. So on the Tom thing at the end, oh, yes. which is just delicious and wonderful and, oh. and incredible. Goosebumps. Yeah. But can I say the word but? Yeah. yeah that's I, <laughs> I regret the line, you know, revisiting the old favourites or just the old favourites. I think that is... Too obvious. Yes, every though. Yeah. Yes, I guess yeah. I know. But this is the, I had this argument with Brian afterwards and he was on, on your side <laughs> because basically my point was you don't need to say that. The fact that he is there. We, yes, we all know he's the, the most beloved Doctor of the classic but era. the line of course is not he is. only revisiting the ones who are any good. <laughs> revisiting the old favourites. Yeah, but it, you don't need to say that. I, th- I think you basically his presence there is enough. Show, don't tell. I just think that it overstepped the mark and I'm not saying this because, you know, Colin, got upset about the fact that Tom was in it and he was stormed down the screening <laughs> um, and, and you know that's that's by the by but I, I just think showing that little modicum of restraint would have made it more elegant I, I know what you're saying but I think that line is the modicum of restraint I think it, 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 it goes right up to what it could have said which would have been a bit unsavory but, and then doesn't but no, that line's more restrained than who knows who knows oh I, I love that, that. Oh, like, again fantastic no but that's that's not the, the kind of restraint that, no. the lack of restraint that I'm talking no, about I know exactly what yes. yeah. Yeah, I mean no, no. I, I don't think it's a problem I think we can overlay what we know about the fact that you know maybe one or two of the other doctors were a bit upset that they didn't get a look in. We were not sure, but maybe we maybe we do know that. But I think we do know that because they said that the following day. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you were at that convention. Yes, we were at that event, and Colin Sabot- was sabotaging my efforts at he sidestepping was not it. Not a happy little Vegemite, Colin was. Yes, not I happy. know, I know, and but I don't blame. Him. And it wasn't because he wasn't in it. It was, I think, because of the way it's treated. There's a, just a, a lack of a realistic appraisal of what the history of the show has been like, that Tom was the doctor at the time when it was so popular and so important and he is spectacular. Like yes, even yes, I appreciate that, all that. so good. But the other thing is this And so week, he's the logical one to have in the special. Exactly, of course. I'm not saying that's wrong. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but but this, this week... 
every living Doctor is involved in something. Yes. And the Five-ish Doctor's reboot isn't a bit of ephemera, a bit of fluff or something that doesn't matter. It's spectacularly great. It's, it's superb. A, it's far better than this. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a well-scripted comedy Directed by Peter Davison, like you know, like they were involved. Yes, but yeah. it, it, no, no, I get what you're saying, and I get why Colin was upset. And Davison, Davison on the Sunday said when everyone was saying how brilliant the Five-ish Doctors reboot was, and he said, and look, one of the questions was basically, and in, in innocently put, was there anyone that you wanted to be in it that said no? And he's Davison said, yes, there was one person. So that was Tom, and right? that was Tom, right? Yeah. We yeah. assume. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when I it goes back to what I'm saying before. It's just unfortunate that the greatest living Doctor is that person. It it's, behaves like is that. a bit of a dick. Is a bit of a dick yeah. about it. Still, even despite all of the all of the years of soul searching he's done and, and building and, bridges, and and building stuff. bridges back <laughs> and stuff, it seems like that that's just it's just yeah. the, the bridge was about to be rebuilt and it was just demolished in one line. Perhaps uh, he's just aware that the general public holds him in far greater esteem than any other living doctor. And, and show I'm more not, modesty about I'm it. I'm not saying that that is a good thing. Yeah. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be more open about it. I'm just saying that maybe we can't lay that interpretation of that line at his door. Oh, oh okay. I'm not laying it at his door, certainly not. Sorry, this, this conversation has gone in a different direction. <laughs> I'm just talking about the that there is a script writer who is aware of all of this. That script writer, that showrunner is completely aware that all this exists and yet that line, for some reason he couldn't stop himself putting that line in. And I can understand, that showrunner I can understand doesn't why. care about yeah. the behind-the-scenes politics I and cares that. more about the fact that the audience is watching and going, that's, that's my Tom doctor, Baker. that's the old yeah, favourite. I'm not saying it because of the yeah. behind-the-scenes politics. I'm, I'm just using that as an illustration as to why it's just more elegant to not have had just that one line, just yeah, that one half line. It's not yeah. even a full line. Yeah. I mean, as with this entire special, the entire thing is a juggling act. Yeah. There are so many things which Moffat had to bring together mm. and put in and decide not to put in and focus on and not focus on and still tell a coherent story about the Doctor and about the series. And he actually pulls it off. And I think mm. that yeah. is why it's such a success. It may not be a success on every level and in every scene. And there's certainly things which I don't think land, as I've talked about, but you can't take away from Moffat what he achieved. It's something incredible. to discuss the real 50th anniversary special as Peter Davison, Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy join forces in the Five-ish Doctor's reboot. What about Paul McGann? <laughs> he doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can keep up with us at Flight Through Entirety on Facebook, at FTE Podcast on Twitter and on our website, flightthroughentirety.com, where you'll find links to our other podcasts, Bonfinger, Jody Into Terror, Maximum Power and Untitled Star Trek Project. Until next time, may you never step in anything unimportant. Thank you very much for listening and good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. <laughs> That was Flight Through Entirety, starring Nathan Bottomley, Peter Griffith, Simon Moore and James Selwood. Theme arrangements by Cameron Lamb. This episode, It's No Arc of Infinity, was recorded on the 24th of July 2022 and released on the 23rd of November. If you just picked up your podcatcher to listen to the latest episode of FTE, you'll be delighted to learn that you just missed the first of our two episodes on the Day of the Doctor, episode 248, The Glue That Holds Everything Together. So have a listen to that now, and we'll see you back here on Sunday. Bye for now. Oh, that's the end of the episode. No, I didn't want to end the episode with a soliloquy. <laughs> oh, no, I yeah, think, it's, that's, that's I think it's a good speech. No, that's a good ending. That's a good ending. Because, I mean, that is it, isn't it? And, yeah, yeah. there'll be a tag or whatever. We didn't even talk. They might be listening to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, 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 t- the tag can be that. Um, that.
fight over uh, which which um, Osgood is the side. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because that but didn't we, go anywhere. We didn't, even, we didn't even talk about the very best thing in the episode. What's that? Sarah Kingdom and Mike Yates. Oh, we talked about <laughs> it this morning. Uh, what? what? <laughs> Sarah Kingdom on the paranoia board in the Black Archive. Right. There's a photograph of Mike Yates and oh, Sarah Oh, with Sarah Kingdom. Kingdom. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, 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 yes. But we did talk about that this morning. Yeah, so I want to see okay. more. I want to see, like, you know, Vicky and Coquillion. <laughs> <laughs> How does no, meet? no, but that's the point. The point is, it's people who didn't meet together. Sorry, but how does that, that work? <laughs> I, got, I got that wrong. I want to see more of that. I want to see, say, Vicky and Chameleon. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you. Chameleon is on that board. Yeah, Chameleon's on the board. Yeah. But no Vicky. No. No Katarina. Uh, I can well, just imagine the Katarina and Chameleon. What about Dodo? <laughs> well, Dodo is in the after party, so she does actually get to turn up and participate in the uh, in the week celebration. God, that was a mess. I that find. I haven't that was embarrassing. Oh, when are we doing the after Again, party we, podcast? We're not live. <laughs> we we're not even it doing live. it now. Remember was it embarrassing? <laughs> it was yeah. embarrassing. Partly because oh, I think have you never all... seen it? Nathan? No, no. Oh, it's don't. absolutely yeah. terrible. They assemble virtually. <laughs> I know every <laughs> every main star from classic Doctor Who, aside from the Doctors, they get virtually everybody in, um, and then they completely waste it. They sit them around tables and every so often throw to them and go, "Did you enjoy being in Doctor Who? Yes." And then they throw, you think, oh my God. <laughs> and all it was the sofas, really one of those stupid done. things with they, they're trying to do with those sort of chat shows now where they're all on irregularly shaped sofas. No one looks like they're sitting particularly comfortably. And they've all, they've all got it. Their shirts and everything are, are all kind of blowing out and showing the, their, less po- their less nice sides uh, unflatteringly. <laughs> it was just, but it was also, yeah, you're right. They, they didn't ask anyone anything at all. And, and they're all kind of sitting there a bit shell shocked so that this thing had just. Yes, it been actually on. felt like a real mark of disrespect to the original. Show did. which the rest of the anniversary week is, is absolutely all, not. Yes, absolutely not. Yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, like they were thrown away. Yeah, it was really terrible. We sat there watching it in a group, and about ten minutes in, we're going, "Oh dear." Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> and that's when we turned over and watched switch the five doctors. Yeah, switch yeah. it off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and cut it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was a fanboy in the um, in the audience doing that as well. Well, the um in. That, in that thing too, who's the blonde hottie? Um, Peter Davison, gay boy <laughs> uh, from a, Age of from Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel. Oh yeah, Jake. Oh, Jake. Yeah. He yeah. was then, and he was he was apparently so happy to have been included as a kind of a pseudo companion. Yeah. Because of course he's in like four episodes, isn't he? Yeah. Three. He's in four. Four. Yeah. yeah. Four, yeah. yeah. And, three or four. and, yeah, and yeah. so he kind of made the cut, and he was so apparently happy to be invited through him. And he was one of the most buoyant, the more buoyant people there. In fact, it was the new series people that seemed to have the energy in that room to actually talk and do stuff. It was the, it was the original series people who, who were kind of sitting there a little bit shell Yeah, yeah but to here? say the energy, I think it's because the original series people deserve respect. They yeah. deserve veneration for the fact that they were part of this show and they were sort of brought along and piled together at tables and so it was a little bit off. Yeah, actually. yeah, like like dragged, dragged out of retirement, in inverted commas, to watch this thing that's much better than when you were in it is how it felt <laughs> to me. Yeah. I would yeah. say that it's made much better than when they no, were. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I, yeah. I agree with that, but that's how it felt watching yeah. it. It was like, oh, look at this fantastic Doctor Who. What was it like when you were in it? In fact, the only thing that I really did like was when Jackie Lane turned up on the um, she's tribute on the screen video. She's, she's, yeah, she's on the screen. She she's, lives in. She does a William Hartnell. Says, Happy anniversary to Doctor Who fans and everything. And it really is absolutely heartwarming because she's one of the stars who at the time was not very prevalent. She didn't go to conventions. We didn't see her interviewed and things like that. So to see her acknowledging the anniversary of the show was really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have just been better for them to all appear in clips like that. I agree. Right, and have a montage, a 10-minute montage of them all. Yeah. Wow. Or just litter them through. You're so mean to Jackie Lane normally. I love Jackie Lane. <laughs> We're mean to Dodo. That's <laughs> quite I'm mean, different. I'm mean to Simon. I like Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? <laughs> right, I'm going to stop. Yeah.